Hey, this is Empowerment Coach Ashley Baxter, host of the Courageous Word Podcast. However, this particular episode is from my old show, the Restoring Heart Podcast. Although I removed most of the 30 episodes from that show, there were seven that I could not part with, and this is one of them. You can feel free to listen to it or skip ahead until you get to the first episode of the Courageous Worth Podcast, which is entitled Helping You Live with Courageous Worth. FYI, if you do continue to listen to this episode of my old podcast, know that my business has undergone many changes since then. So some things mentioned may no longer apply. For example, my social media handle and website names have changed. Today, you can find me on social media platforms at the Ashley Baxter, and my website is theashleybaxter.com. Okay, you're still here, so I'm guessing you're about to listen to this episode. This particular episode was an interview about facing hardship and the importance of not losing heart. So thanks for listening to this episode from my old show, as well as listening to episodes of my current show, The Courageous Worth Podcast. Welcome to the Restoring Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Baxter, and every Thursday, a new episode is posted to help you restore heart to your life and to the lives of those around you, because our hearts are valuable and desperately needed in this world. Hey guys, this is Ashley. I hope you're having an awesome day. This is the final episode in this month-long series called When Life Doesn't Turn Out As Expected. I hope that this episodes this month have been helpful to you and just recognizing that life doesn't turn out as expected and the way that we approach it and deal with it is so important. So I hope that these episodes have been helpful for you in that way. We've covered a lot of different topics. And so I hope that if there is a particular episode that makes you think of a friend or family member who could relate, that you would pass that episode on to them and hopefully it will be helping and encouraging and comforting them in some way. Today's final episode in the series is one of my good friends, Diane, as she shares about her journey with breast cancer. It is a very tender and sweet conversation and I hope you will enjoy it. As with all of the interview episodes, there is the clip that is released here on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this episode currently. And then there's also an extended version that I provide to those who are in the Patreon community based on which tier they're in. So if you would like to hear that episode that is around 20 minutes longer, then head over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash Restoring Heart. Again, that's Patreon.com backslash Restoring Heart. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that this episode will be helpful to you, and here we go. So I'm here with my friend Diane, and I'm trying to think how long we have known each other. Oh, gosh. Oh, okay. You started watching my girls Yeah. when they were like seven, five, seven? Yeah, probably. So 10 years? Oh, my goodness. About? Yeah. Really? I think wow. we need a 10-year anniversary <laughs> celebration. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh, Facebook yeah. friendship celebration. Yes. A little photo collage. Yeah, I need to look for that on Facebook. <laughs> I'll let us know. Oh, and I love your girls. I, I was telling someone yesterday about how when I was working in that job, that was just very stressful. I was like, forward to those Thursday nights mm. where I could come over and just go into imagination land with your girls. Oh, so. They loved it. They oh. still talk about some of those games <laughs> you played with them. They're so sweet. I love them. They're pretty great. All grown up now, but pretty great. Oh, yes. And how old are they now? So Addison is 17. Oh dear. Just about to turn 18 in May and Sydney's about to turn 16. So I have two full-blown teenage girls. Oh, we need to figure out a way to keep them there. Like maybe bolting the doors. Yeah, I'm not looking <laughs> forward to the next couple years of them. I, it's just going to fly by. Yeah. Don't they say as parents that they always say the days crawl, but the years fly by. Oh. And it's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then just so everyone knows, like, where did you grow up? And it's kind of a snapshot of your a snapshot of me, huh? Um, so I guess, well, my younger years, I grew up in um, a small town. Well, I don't know how small it is, really. I don't remember much. Um, in Rolla, Missouri, I grew up in Rolla, Missouri until I was about nine, and then we moved to Northern Virginia. Um, and I pretty much grew up there. 
all the way through high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then from there, went on to Virginia Tech, go Hokies. <laughs> and um, yeah, after that, went on to move to Chicago, lived in Chicago a little bit, in Connecticut once we got married. Now we're here in Wilmington. And how did you and Darren meet? We actually met through a ministry called Young Life. And um, we were working at a camp together for a summer. So, yeah. Now, did one person like the other first or was it kind of? That's a funny question. (laughs) Um, So he asked me to go on a boat ride and I'm very naive. And I was like, sure, I didn't think of anything. And then he asked me to go out to dinner and I invited another guy that was on staff to come with us. And apparently he wasn't very happy about that, but I didn't (laughs) quite get that it was a date. So I kind of, yeah, (laughs) I was was a little slow to realize what was going on. (laughs) Do you think the other guy realized that he was being the third wheel? (laughs) That's a good question. I have no idea. It all worked out, though. Oh. <laughs> and then um, tell us about the business that you and him run together and also his business. Sure. Um, Darren actually uh, runs kind of a house renovation hometown handyman is the name of his business um, here in Wilmington. And he does everything from, I don't know, changing light bulbs for little people <laughs> to <laughs> complete home renovations. And uh, together several years ago, we started a business, which is kind of a long story, but I won't go into it, um, making tide clocks, which not time clocks, but tide clocks um, that tell you whether the tide is rising, falling, you know, how long till high tide, low tide. And we started that, which has been a huge blessing because really it allows me to be at home with the girls. And that's really what I wanted. So I basically run that business and um, couldn't do it without him, though, because he he made it happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love all the different designs y'all have for the clocks. Like they're, I feel like you often see those ones that are just the generic, um, just all the numbers and, and everything, and it's not the most decorative piece. <laughs> and so I love that y'all's are just so unique. And um, I know one of my friends that her and her husband go fishing a lot. And so they were so excited to get one and sweet. Oh, thanks. Yeah. We like them. (laughs) They work. They keep me in business, which is good. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. So this month I've been doing a series called when life doesn't turn out as expected. And I know that a few years ago, you could relate to that so much because life definitely turned upside down for you. Um, so can Absolutely. you tell us what happened and that journey? Yeah. First, let me apologize because even saying the word still kind of rattles me because um, you never expect to hear, oh dear, it really does rattle me sometimes. <laughs> um, you never expect to hear you've got cancer. Um Especially, I think I always thought that was something that happened, I don't know, to unhealthy people or older people or I I don't know. Um, you just never think it's going to happen to you. So I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to share. I hope that I, hope that I can hold it together. Okay, tears are welcome. <laughs> I never <laughs> tell people to shy away from tears. So yeah, we got them. There's don't tissues worry. right there. Ah, I got them. You know, when you're you're 47, you've got them. (laughs) They just come sometimes. And so when, um, how did you discover that you had cancer? Well, um, to be honest, I had had several months where I just, something was feeling off. I kept going back to my doctor. I'm like, something is not right. They did test after test for, um, I was just feeling um, dizzy and off. they did everything from allergy tests to um, sent me to an ENT, sent me to have all sorts of scans. And um, I just remember the last appointment, my doctor was like, well, we've tried everything. Like, I don't, I don't know what else, you know, we tried food elimination diets. Like we tried everything. And she said, well, I see you're due for your you know, annual exam. So of course, being the good girl, like we floss before we go to the dentist, I was like, oh, I need to do a check. They're going to ask me if I do breast checks and I don't. 
And so that night, right after my appointment with her, I was doing a self-exam and immediately found a lump on the side of my breast. And um, I just remember, uh, if I could be blunt, <laughs> um, I've always had lumpy breasts mm-hmm. or dense tissue, I guess they call it. And But it, this, I thought I'd never feel if I had cancer because – I just thought I wouldn't, but this felt very different and it was definitely a lump. And um, I remember reaching over to Darren and I said, "Hun, I just found a lump. And, uh, and he kind of reached over, we were laying in bed and he just held my hand and he said, but you know, we, we feel very strongly in our faith. And he just said, God's got this and um, we'll call the doctor in the morning. So I called the doctor immediately in the morning the next day and, um, got an appointment right away and started the whole process of, uh, testing. Yeah. I don't know if you want to hear. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be great just to kind of hear those first, what those kind of each first step and decision yeah. looked like. Yeah. So, um, I went to the doctor, um, and she, she again was concerned and said, you know, I want to send you to get an ultrasound. Um, so I went and did, or I guess we did a mammogram and then ultrasound and the interesting thing was which I become a big advocate for this if you are at all concerned don't be okay with just the mammogram Mm. because the mammogram did not show anything oh wow um and the ultrasound showed just enough concern that they decided to do a biopsy Mm -hmm. and it wasn't a small like I was stage two Mm -hmm. so to me that the mammogram and ultrasound didn't like you know your body so yeah. if you feel like something's wrong, push for a biopsy, I would say, to give my little plug yeah. <laughs> um, to women or men, because men get it too. Um, so um, it was a long week of waiting once I got the biopsy. And I'll never forget, I was serving um, in a little cafe at our church that night, and I saw the phone call come in from my doctor. And then you get the words, you know. Um, I hate to tell you this, but you've got cancer and your mind just kind of goes everywhere. And it was late at night and I had to finish serving. So I couldn't even tell my family right away. Um, And Darren and I were so busy that night. I couldn't, I mean, I literally got home, I think at 9.30 or 10 and we were so busy with the girls and I didn't want to tell him around the girls because I just wanted to tell him first. And we finally got into bed that night and um, I just remember saying to him, Honey, I got a call from Brad, and it's cancer. And um, well, that night was rough. It was we both just cried and held each other and cried. And all through the night, I remember him like waking up. Are you awake? Yeah, I'm awake. It was just a very restless night of what does this mean? And I I remember writing to my closest friends first thing the next morning, like I don't want cancer to define who I am, um, but that I knew it was going to redefine what was to come. And so that's kind of been the last couple of years as a redefining of, of what like looks like even now being cancer free. Um, your life is still different. You've got doctor's visits and doctor's visits and every little bump, every little thing you find is, is this something I need to worry about? Is this something I need to call about? It's, um, it's just a different new, it's, it's so, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And when did y'all decide to tell the girls? Oh, gosh. Um, So we didn't want to really keep it a secret. And you know what? Gosh, I don't don't remember. I think it was the next day um, when they got home from school. I don't remember where they were, but I remember sitting down with them at at the dining room table because we just like to hang around the dining room table and talk anyway. And so we were all sitting there and Darren started to say, well, so mom and I have something we need to tell you about. And he just, there's nothing harder than seeing your husband. I think I've only seen him cry at both births. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he just swelled up and he tried to get it out and he couldn't. And so I had to say, uh, mommy's got cancer and it was so interesting because I think it, Darren and I had an idea, you know, what that meant. And the girls, you could tell they're teenagers and kind of like, 
I don't know what to do with this information. I thought it was going to be this big weep fest and they were kind of like quiet looking at each other. I think they didn't know what to feel. But it was interesting for my girls, the emotions came later. Uh, um, About a couple of weeks later, it was Mother's Day and we were driving to a soccer tournament and they had gotten me some Mother's Day gifts. One of the girls got me a little um, charm for a bracelet that said mom on it with a heart. And I looked back at her and I said, thank you so much. And she was just bawling. And then um, for my other daughter, just one night when I went to kiss her goodnight, she just cried and cried and cried. And so um, it was interesting. I think we all kind of dealt with it in our own timing and with different things that came up. Um, it was kind of a, a grieving process. It wasn't like one day of tears. It would just be on and off for weeks because we just didn't know what what it meant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The word alone kind of is scary and there's a lot of waiting until the testing really starts to know what you have and what's next. And mm-hmm. so and then there's um, a whole lot of information yeah. for you. <laughs> no, that's great. And I should clear you can tell like I'm a crier anyway and I love you. So I I should warn you that I always cry. <laughs> I do too. It's okay. <laughs> Got tissues over here. You want? No, I'm good right now. (laughs) Thank you. Um, and so what were the next decisions as far as treatment? We chose to do the lumpectomy, um, for a number of reasons, and so that was first. And then when they did that surgery, they were going to check the lymph nodes to see if the cancer had spread at all, and they did find cancer in a couple of lymph nodes. Not a lot, but enough to say, let's take the lymph nodes out. Um, They did the lumpectomy and took the two lymph nodes out. And then after the surgery is when they really study the tumor, find out what type of cancer you have, which I had no idea. There were so many different, even breast cancer, there was like umpteen different types of cancer. And the percent chance of reoccurrence is different for every type of cancer. And so um, my numbers on my tumor were such that the doctors said, we don't know if you should do chemo. They said, you can or you can't. You know, it's kind of your choice. And again, this was such an emotional ride for my family. I didn't understand that it was my choice. Um, And so thankfully, um, my breast cancer surgeon um, was somebody we had gotten to know enough that he said, I will pull together a panel of doctors and we will meet together. And so they had a team of doctors that met together over my case and five of the six said, we think she should do chemo. So I kind of felt like I was putting my trust in yeah. more knowledgeable hands. And I'll never forget getting that phone call because as crazy as it sounds, I used to be the person that's, I remember saying to one of my best friends, if I ever had cancer, you would need to push me to get chemo because I think it's chemo that kills people. I don't think it's cancer. I don't know why I ever thought that. I just, it was like the one thing I feared um, most in the whole thing was chemo. And so when they told me I needed a chemo, that was Something I wasn't looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of went forward trusting with that and ended up having to do chemo and radiation. They wanted to do radiation no matter what. Um, so we did, oh my golly, I can't remember. I want to say six, but I want to say four. Four rounds of chemo. <clears throat> four rounds of chemo, yes. And then seven weeks of radiation, which radiation is every day five days a week for seven weeks, 35 treatments. And can you explain, I mean, I think for a lot of people, they haven't been through it, then whatever we see in the movies and on television. So what, um, like, what did you kind of expect that to look like beforehand? And then how'd you, how was it in truth? So that's a great question. So (laughs) the only, I had seen a lot of movies, um, with people getting very sick from chemo. And I will say one of the gifts that was given to me was a a girlfriend was going through it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Our stages were kind of opposite. Like I had had surgery and she started with chemo and radiation and then they were doing surgery. So we kind of can walk together and compare, which was really a gift. Um, But 
also did harm because hers was a totally different type of cancer and she had a different medicine. And so she didn't find it to be that bad. So I went into it thinking, awesome, like I can do this. And it rocked me. Um, Chemo was definitely, it's something that I don't know, you know, for those that haven't gone through it, the first three days, you're like, ah, this isn't so bad. And I think it's day four, it just hits you like, a ton of bricks. Can you explain what that what that felt is? Like and sure. Like? Um, so for me, um, the chemo um, rocked my stomach. My the stomach pain, my, the whole body pain was almost like you had the worst. It it doesn't even seem enough to say flu because the flu, it's like the flu on steroids ten times over. Like your whole body just aches and. Uh, you feel like you're going to vomit all the time and um, your pain, like I just had back pain and leg pain like I've never had. And I remember a friend coming over and foam rolling with me and trying to massage my back. Like um, it just was awful. I, it was awful. Um, the constipation for me, everybody's is so different, but that caused so much pain and nothing seemed to work that the doctors were giving me. Um, I had headaches that were so um, severe that I had to take opioids or of some sort. I don't even remember what it was, but it was a big drug and I just took half of one. <laughs> Thankfully, it, that's all I had to take. Um, and my mouth, um, your tongue gets so dry and crackly like it I I can't even describe it it's nasty but um you get sores on your tongue so you can't eat I drink a lot of broth <laughs> I remember that but you go through probably three days of hell pardon my language but I think unless you feel it I don't know but it's you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy um so that was chemo and then it, you slowly after chemo you I should say, because everyone's so different, I would slowly start to regain strength and be able to walk, you know, part of a half of a block, not even a block, but, you know, you gain strength every day. And I just tried to walk as much as I could in between. And there were many days where I couldn't walk, but I would just do what I could to keep moving. Um, and really every session I would say to my husband, I would say to Darren, I can't do this again. I can't. I it was hard to choose to do it again, but I knew I needed to do it again. And it, I felt like it was a real gift from the Lord because literally like the week before it was time to do it again, I was like, okay, I feel good. I can do this. And it really was, um, you know, it would be weeks of just hell and then it was time to do it again. And then you'd go through it. And the hard thing was the way chemo works is the first time is the easiest, and then the second time is a little harder, and then the third time. So each time the the um, symptoms or I can't even think of the word. That's a beauty of radiation and chemo. It rocks your brain cells. <laughs> um, but the symptoms or whatever lasted longer each time. So by the last one, it was like two days, and I was like, I'm not doing it. And then I felt better like the day before, you know, so it was just, it was awful. <laughs> it was just awful. I'm so thankful it's over. <laughs> um, so that's chemo. Um, and radiation was completely different. Um, I had the best team of radiation doctors, nurses. I don't know. They were fun and funny and you kind of go sit under this machine. Thankfully for me, it was like 20 minutes a day. Um, and it, it made your skin very raw, um, kind of like a really bad sunburn. Um, I was very fortunate. I didn't get it as bad as I've heard people get it. I felt like radiation was very easy for me skin wise. Um, but radiation made you really tired. Like chemo made you tired for several days and you just had a lack of energy, but radiation was like, I got to take a nap. And two hours later, I got to take a nap. <laughs> so it was it was a very different, but I felt fine. Like I, I didn't feel a lot of pain or, you know, I didn't feel sick or nauseous. I just needed to take a lot of naps for me. Some people radiation is worse for. So I guess everybody's body is so different in how they respond. 
in that first round of everything, do you remember how your mind was in regards to if you just completely let everything go? Or were you trying to appear strong for Darren or for the girls? That's a great question. You know what? In hindsight, I do wonder if we kept the girls closed off to too much or let them see too much. I think as a parent, you always wonder, like, I don't want them to worry, but I I want them. I also want for me personally with my faith, I wanted them to see that God was going to carry us through this. And so um, I still wonder, did we share too much? Not enough. I felt like there were days I was very transparent and said, I just really need you to to do these things for me. That was the hardest because I I like to be self um, self reliant. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> I I uh, it's hard for me to rely on people or ask people for help sometimes, and so not being able to get out of my recliner for long periods of time was difficult. So they they totally rocked it. <laughs> And they were so, so helpful and I think grew up faster than they should have had to for a couple of years. But um, I feel like, I felt like in between the pain, I really, I, I felt like God, I, I, for me personally and my faith, I, I felt like God had it. And if it was my time, it was my time as awful as that sounds, I, I kind of trusted that and I, um, I trusted, so I felt good and confident and I didn't feel angst about it, if that makes sense. I just, when I felt awful, I felt awful and I didn't hide how awful I felt. I don't think, I think sometimes I did. There were times I would just go up in my room and I would sit in a Epsom bath salt and just cry. And that was usually just Darren and I. And for me, I had him open up scripture or the bible for me and just read to me that was life-giving and the girls didn't see that but I felt like the rest of it I was pretty real with people I felt like when I wasn't in pain I felt like okay <laughs> this is something we've got to do a great quote that I actually just read the other day was when you go through something hard it'll either define you destroy you or strengthen you mm-hmm. and I think I I had to make that choice. Like I didn't know if it was going to destroy me. So I was either going to let it define me or strengthen me. And so I hope I, <laughs> I I'd, it'd be interesting to ask more of my friends and family how I was. I, I don't know. I feel like I was real. I love that. I love that quote. I'll have to look that up. I think that's a great quote. I don't know. I so probably true. botched it. It works. Hey, it can be your quote. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't mine for sure. But, but yeah, it was something about Is there something now being on this side of everything that you wish you could have told yourself at the very beginning? Hmm. That's funny. You ask that because I always ask myself if it were to come back, would I do anything different? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I would, I think I would know you've got this. Not that I had it, but the people that I had around me. I didn't realize how beautiful they were until you go through something and you realize the goodness of people. And it was a beautiful thing. It was, I would never wish on anyone to go through something horrible, but you hear that all the time that in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of horrible things, you realize the gift of your community. And for me, and I don't know if you know this, um, and I don't think a lot of people know this when you for some cancer patients, when you are done, you still have to take medicine for, for me, they wanted me to take a medicine for 10 years. And I tried the first medicine that they recommended. And it was, it made me feel like I had the flu 24 seven. And I, my body ached and I walking ached. And I felt like I was all of a sudden much older than I was. I felt like I don't know, like every part of me ached and I was too young to feel like I (laughs) ached that much all the time. And um, I had a lot of side effects from the medicine. And so we tried another medicine and another medicine. And finally, um, after talking with many doctors and figuring out my statistics, like the type of cancer I had, um, the medicine cuts the cancer coming back by half. 
But what they didn't tell me right away was it cuts my percentage in half. Like the type of tumor I had, say that type of tumor, the reoccurrence rate was only 13%. So it cuts that 13% in half. And I'm like, first six and a half percent <laughs> chance of reoccurrence. It's not worth me feeling this yeah. bad. And they, my doctor was amazing and told me people even on medicine get can't Like there's no absolute, this is going to work. This is not going to work. Mm-hmm. So he kind of gave me the, yes, you're free to not. We, we tried all different types of medicines for probably a good nine months and finally said, I can't do this anymore. Maybe it was a year. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Tried it long enough. Yeah. So chose to go off that. I don't, I think I, I don't know if I'd push myself harder to push through it. It's easy to say now because I feel great, but on it, I felt awful. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And now when, during your treatment, did you start to lose your hair? That's a great question. I forgot about that. That's a side effect. Um, I don't know that I remember, friend. I want to say after the first treatment, maybe between the first and second treatment, maybe closer to the second treatment. It's um, it's funny. I didn't know what it would be like. And I remember um, talking to a friend who said, it just kind of starts to fall out like you'll comb your hair and notice. And I did. I started noticing like I was running my fingers through my hair and it would just, I would pull my hand away from my head and see this hair and then do it again. And it just kept coming. And a girlfriend told me to go ahead and like get your hair cut then because then it seems less drastic. So I did. I went and I got my hair cut, but then it started more and more and more falling out. And then I decided I'm going to cut it really short. Mm -hmm. So it seemed less. And I just had her I felt like a little skater. I was like a skater in high school. <laughs> and I felt like it brought me back to my highs, like give me a skater chick, you know, shave it off. And so I I pretty much cut it real, real short, shaved it right before it fell out and yeah. went bald. And it's interesting. I For me personally, I think for a lot of women, that's the hardest. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just me. It didn't bother me. Yeah. The hair didn't bother me as much as everything else. And the feeling lousy was harder for me. The mm-hmm. hair, I I tried to do the wig thing and I just couldn't. Some women wear them and wear them so well yeah. and you can't tell and they're beautiful. But for me, I just felt like I was wearing a wig. Yeah. And it felt, it made me feel like I was more sick than I felt. And so I needed to just, I wore a ball cap every day. Because the beauty of being bald, showers are like, you know why men take such quick showers? Because they don't have to worry about hair. It's like the quickest thing. I could take three-minute showers. It was fabulous. I was kind of sad, I have to be honest, when it started to come back and I had to shave again. So that wasn't hard. The hard part is now when it comes back gray and you get the senior discount at the stores and you're not a senior that is a little humbling but the hair falling out not so bad the gray people thinking i'm older than i am that's a little humbling (laughs) did you ever go without do you know one time i did and and i remember sitting in the car thinking oh my gosh i forgot something like i was at a store and i was getting ready to walk in and i was like i forgot something and I don't know if I felt like I needed it, but you, I didn't want people to look at me sick mm. I, because I wanted, I, I know myself well enough and I, just the mental game of cancer is you want to fight to feel the best you can feel. And so I didn't want people to look at me like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. You know, like I didn't want people to look at me sick. So I think that to me was the ball cap thing. Mm-hmm. Plus, it was always cold. It was like a middle of winter. Yeah. I don't know if you know this or not, but having no hair is so cold. I don't I, know how these bald guys do it. Yeah. It's cold yeah. up there. So um, the, I think the baseball cap was for warmth and just so people, you know, maybe wouldn't look at me. But I have to say to those that wonder, like, what to say to people or mm-hmm. um, some of the greatest gifts were um, – I'll never forget – like in the grocery store, several women coming up to me and just saying, I don't know you. I don't know if this is what you're going through, but I am a survivor for 10 years. And that was like, 
life-giving. Like, oh my gosh, you're walking around and you're alive. I mean, truth be told, you wonder, am I going to be alive when this is all over? Um, And so when people would say those things, it was like, okay, I've got this. She's alive. She's She's got hair. She's walking and talking and not in pain and she's not vomiting and she's not about to fall apart. And so that was life-giving. Um, so to me, that was a great gift. And the other thing was, and maybe it's me because I'm kind of an open book, like I'd rather people ask than just wonder. I remember a woman saying to me, like, do you mind if I ask, you know, if you're, you know, are you going through cancer? Or, And I wasn't offended. I guess some people could take offense at that if they just had hair loss or something. But I, I don't, things like that don't offend me. But I said, yeah, you know, I'm in the middle of, of a battle with cancer. And I'm amazed at, and I, I don't mean this to sound self-serving, but the people that stepped up and blessed me by knowing that I was ill, and I, I wasn't, I didn't want people to know that I was ill, but when they asked, like one woman, I was in an embroidery shop and buying something for someone, and she was like, I want to give you a baseball cap. Can you give me your initials? And I just, it was like those little gifts that you just, as silly as it sounds, they kept you going. Like the goodness of people kept you going. The meals that people brought by and the handwritten letters that people don't do anymore, that people would take the time to handwrite a letter, I will, I've will. i got a stash that I'll never throw away because they were life-giving and just the goodness of people and the people giving the encouraging words and telling you their story were things that really gave you like strength every day. So it's so beautiful. I love that, especially about the people coming up in the grocery store and I, don't know, I just I feel like it's such a supportive community. Like anyone on the outside, you just see that from so many cancer survivors and going through it. Like it's like it sounds like it's a community of people that are just so supportive of one another and reaching out. Yeah. Well, you know, I will say one of the beauties of cancer is people get real quick. There's no facade. There's no trying to be all that because you really realize this could be the end. I might as well just love on you and you love on me and let's encourage each other through this. Um, which is kind of, I wish people looked that way at life. You know, it, um, it's definitely changed the way I think about things, but I met some of the most beautiful people during radiation and chemo and, you know, you get past the junk and you're, you just are able to kind of share in retrospect, like, you hope you've done well. <laughs> I don't I don't mean to sound morbid or but um I don't know. The perspective of knowing the end could be right here um leads you to live a little differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I hope I never forget that no matter how long I've been cancer free. <laughs> now are there some things that you would ever hear people say that Unknowingly, they were things that actually aren't helpful or misconceptions or harmful hmm. that you kind of would like, if I could tell people one thing, maybe don't say this to someone. Do you know what's funny? Here's what I will say. People will say stuff, but I think it's our own take of it that, how can I word this? Um, I think every, I tend to think everyone's heart is so good in tragedy and people say things wanting to help you. And I think I always believed that. Now, there were things that struck a chord with me or made me go, oh, I wish people wouldn't say that. Not because it bothered me. Let me just tell you what. Here's a for instance. The best thing my, my doctor ever said to me right at the beginning, you did nothing to get this and you couldn't have done anything to stop this. That to me was, I think, what every cancer patient needs to hear. It was hard to hear people say, um, hey, I have this. I want you to try this superfood, for instance, which I'm all about. I love my superfoods. I'm drinking one right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's this, cons- I don't know if it's a misconception, but there's this idea, and I believed it. I believed that I was healthy, that I 
was pretty active, that I would have been doing, quote unquote, all the right things to not get cancer. And I got cancer. But the world, I think, in their desire to help is like, if you do this, this, and this, you'll never get cancer. There's so much cancer in the world. If you don't put this in your body, this in your body, that. And it's almost, um, it can make a person with cancer feel like I didn't do enough to Mm. keep cancer away or at bay. And I think that's a falsehood because I've known the healthiest of healthy people. And I would say to anyone battling cancer, what my doctor said was beautiful you didn't do anything to get this. And so sometimes you do. It's a it's a question I still ask myself, did I really do everything I could have done to keep from getting it? And I will always wonder that. But I would also say to anybody else that has it, you didn't do anything to get it. You know, there's no there's no A plus B equals C when it comes to yeah. cancer, I don't think. Yeah. So does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I feel like people's hearts are really good. They just want to help. But I remember enough people coming to me with things Mm. that would help me that made me feel like, do they think I don't eat well enough? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Um, So I don't know. I mean, like you said, it's not that people were – they were trying to help. But I I just think sometimes people say things not realizing. And I know I, for one, am always trying to be educated on – if I'm saying something that's hurting someone, even though it's good intentions, I want to yeah. relearn that. You know, well, and I, I will say I fall on the side of things that I hope I always believe the best in people. And so sometimes I think when we take things personally, it's more us and our own insecurities or our own, you know, when somebody would say something about the food, for instance, it was my own insecurities like, should I have eaten better? Should I have eaten all organic? You know, now when doctors say to you, yes, you should eat organic after you get cancer, they tell you that. I'm kind of like, oh, should I have eaten all organic before? Like, so I think it's our insecurities that feed on what people say, not that what people say is ugly, but our insecurities misread what people, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, you know, Somebody else might be offended by somebody walking up to them in the grocery store and saying, I hope you don't yeah. mind my asking, whereas that didn't offend me at all. Yeah. So I guess it's all a personality difference in personality on what would be offensive to some and not to others. I can't think of anything that really offended me. I did, you know, friends that were trying to push me hard, like, let's just go for a walk. You can do this. I wanted to punch. I'll be honest. <laughs> in the midst of it, you you want to say you have no idea. Because you don't have any idea unless you've been in it. Mm-hmm. And I and I, it's interesting. I found myself on the other side of that where I have said to people, come on, you can do this. And they're like, I can't. And I think, yes, you can. You can do anything <laughs> you put your mind to. And so it was interesting to be on the other side and feel like, I'm going to punch you if you tell me one more time I can do this because I cannot. I would love to do this more than you realize. <laughs> like I would love to lift my legs right now, but I cannot. So, um. It's an emotional, emotional time. How was it when you found out you were cancer free? Hmm. Happy dance, happy dance, happy <laughs> dance. Oh, it was, uh, you know what? I'm going to be really honest here again. It was the best feeling ever. I think I walked up to more strangers that day in my whole life and said, I just need you to know God is really good. Now, uh, side note. I feel like God is good every day, no matter what the circumstance. But it felt really, really good to say it that day, I guess. Um, I'm going to, 99% of cancer patients I know will tell you this. It feels really, really good. But then the day after you go, are you sure? Mm. Are you really, really sure? And um, I think that's the redefining I talked about that I don't want cancer to define me, but it has definitely redefined my mind. Um, It is much more of a mind battle than I ever realized. Um, The world hears cancer-free and they're elated for you and your journey is over. You hear cancer-free, but you still have to see a doctor every three months and every time you feel a lump or they find something on an x-ray, it it brings back the night you heard the words, you have cancer. And so it never really goes away. 
to you. Now that might be me. That might be me. Um, but I've talked to a lot of cancer patients that feel that same way. So now I might feel very different 10 years from now, I might say. But right now when we're still in the midst of, oh, there's this little something on your x-ray. Mm. <laughs> I don't want that thing to be on my x-ray and I don't want to go to another doctor because I'm afraid they're going to tell me something else. I'd rather not go to a doctor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and, and during some of these three-month follow-up time periods, like when there isn't anything out of the ordinary that you realize, um, the whole time, is it occasionally in the back of your mind as that next three-month appointment is drawing closer? Or is it kind of like the week before where you get nervous? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. You know, I really, <laughs> maybe it's me being so all over the place. I don't think about it day to day, which is a blessing. When you do think about it is when those things come up, when you feel something or um, when you feel something different or you know a scan is coming up, then you think, I hope they find nothing. Like, I, I'll be really honest. Like, I know I'm getting a scan. Well, it was supposed to be the other day, but I know I've got a scan coming up. And I'm like, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat right. I'm gonna, <laughs> and you play all these games that you're like, okay, if you have cancer, two weeks of eating is not going to do anything. <laughs> but you still do it because it's it's like the flossing before you go to the dentist. You just want to do everything you possibly can to, to keep your chances of it ever coming back at as far, as far away mm -hmm. as possible. Yeah. You were just saying a second ago how just the mind battle with cancer and just how tough that is. What would you say were a couple of the hardest battles for you? You know, I wish I had my journal because then I could really tell you. Um, some battles I pray that I'll hold on to are the reality that my worth is not in how my body looks or how my body feels, that I'm still me. Mm -hmm. And I, and I I think I always felt very confident in who I was until those things were stripped from me, until I was bald and until I was gray, until I my body couldn't move, until I had no energy and couldn't do anything for myself. It, it kind of gives you a glimpse into different people's lives that can't do things for themselves that maybe go gray prematurely, that have alopecia and are bald. You know, like I, the gift that it gave me was so sweet, but set, that is was definitely a battle of the mind. Like my worth does not come from these things that have been stripped of me. I'm still Diane. For me, I still felt like um, that doesn't, I, I needed to not let those things define me, I guess. Mm -hmm. Another battle of the mind was the idea of death. I I didn't fear it because I just don't fear it. Um, but I I remember conversations, one with my niece that was so cute, right when we told my nieces. And my one niece, being beautifully young, just asked the question, Aunt Diane, are you going to die? And as hard as that was to hear that question, I was so thankful my girls were in the room because mm -hmm. I knew they were wondering but didn't want to ask. And so to be able to say to my niece, I don't know. But I, I'm okay with that. I know, I really believe I know where I'm going and I believe it's a beautiful place. I had to choose to take that snippet of a conversation and remember it all along the way of my cancer journey. I had to choose to take that conversation and go, I don't know if this is going to be the thing, but we all have the thing and some of us know and some of us don't know. You know, you never know when the end is coming for you. But I felt like that conversation, not only was helpful for my girls because I was able to answer probably what they wanted to know but were afraid to ask me, um, but it also helped me kind of along the journey to remember it may be the end, it may not. And I really didn't believe it was because I had known so many women to go through breast cancer and come out on the other end. Um, that's not always everyone's story. but What were some things that y'all had to process and work through that weren't expected? That's a great question. There were a lot of unexpected, <laughs> sure. a lot, a lot of unexpected and too many to, to uh, list and go through with the amount of time we have. Um, but I think 
the for me the other part that I I think I have to process and and I know I will probably always deal with or have to figure out is there's this constant reminder you know I can't um even though I'm cancer free anytime I change or anytime I I like I can't lift my right arm all the way up without it being painful down the right side of my body and to me that's a reminder that I had cancer. Now I love, if I could be so personal, I have this fabulous scar on the side of my breast that is in an S shape, which I have to tell you are funny. So my sweet, one of my surgeons had a funny accent and he said, I'm just going to do a lazy ass scar right here. And I'm like, lazy ass, that's not very, (laughs) like this is my body. (laughs) And then I realized after I said, excuse me. And he said it again. I was like, Oh, a lazy S. Like, so I have this. Bit of a difference. I have this lazy S um, scar, which I call it my superwoman. That's scar. what I was just. Thinking. I have battled. I have. I have fought that battle. So um, I love that. But anyways, that's something that is like a constant reminder to me, and is I don't know if it sounds silly or not, but I do wonder. I hope this isn't too personal on podcasts, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> um, I, it makes me self-conscious when I'm with my husband. And I, because I, it, my breast doesn't look or feel the same. And it's a, it's very humbling. Um, he, of course, <laughs> is a man and thankful no matter what. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, that's something that, like that constant reminder to me I think is something that's still hard to swallow and I do wonder like and I don't know maybe different cancers do this to different people but like it's a little self-conscious to if you lose weight sometimes your boobs might look a little lopsided and and then if you gain a little weight they're just right so there's new (laughs) there's new uh little battles I hope that wasn't too personal but you can nope that's perfect take it out if you want (laughs) Did you notice with um, Darren or the girls things that they needed to tend to themselves as well during that time? Were there, I mean, were there any times where you saw that they were just pouring so much into you and they needed to take that, take some time to process through their feelings and thoughts? Yeah. You know, um, I will say as awful as the diagnosis was, both Darren and I would say, I don't think we've ever cared for each other so well. Mm. And I think I even heard Darren say to a friend that it, even though it was awful, it was almost a gift to our marriage um, in that, you know, we'd been married 20 years and it's easy to just get used to each other and take it, take each other for granted. Not that, I mean, we still had a great, easy marriage, but it was the reality that something you love so much could be gone like that. And um I think we were I think we were very fortunate and really able to process with each other well. Yeah. Um we talked about it a lot. He was amazing. Amazing. Ama- I am beyond blessed with the best man in the world by my side. Um I do have to remind myself even now the silly little things that, you know, when you're going through something where the end is in your face, Mm -hmm. that it might be your time. One of the greatest things I hope I'll hold on to is the pettiness of the things Mm -hmm. we let bother us, the pettiness of things we choose to argue about, the there's a lot, and I remember talking with my girlfriend who also is battling cancer, and I don't mean to sound trite, but there's a lot that feels really meaningless mm-hmm. and felt really meaningless in the midst of the battle, but still feels pretty meaningless now. Yeah. I pray I won't lose that. You mm-hmm. know, things that maybe drive me crazy about someone didn't drive me crazy during cancer. I need to hold on to that like I don't you know they say what is it I forget what the kids call it live each day as if it's your last what do oh, you call it um, 
YOLO? YOLO. Yeah. You only live <laughs> once. That's right. Yes. YOLO. I'm sorry. I would have said Ladaffle live no. every day as <laughs> if it's your last. Ladaffle. <laughs> um, I wanted to make a shirt with that. But anyway, um, YOLO. I-, I think there's a sweet perspective mm-hmm. when you know it's the end. Things don't matter. Yeah. We seem to put so much. I completely agree. Emphasis on. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, I think it's That's big. Yeah, it's kind of the big hardships in life that put things into better perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if I could hold on to that yeah. and not let the dirty dishes <laughs> bother me that my teenagers don't pick up, that would be great because I, I didn't care when I was in my cancer battle, I don't think. I know. I sometimes think that, you know, we, I know you and I are both big time journalers. And so I have like probably 15 journals in my closet. And I was like, I kind of feel like I should have one journal that's just life journal, where it's kind of like those big key things I don't want to ever forget write them in there so I can go back look at them yes that hasn't happened but it's an idea (laughs) but the journals are something to look back on yes for sure because I have written a lot of things down that I hope Mm -hmm. to not forget yeah yeah from the journey I feel like in any hardship in life there's things that make it I don't know if easier is the right word or what would you advise to someone to kind of take with them like it sounds like mm. for things that you've shared it's letting people in and letting them help you yeah like what oh, are some gosh. things you, you know what tell? I will say and I remember saying this to my daughter once it only has power to hurt you when you hold it in mm. there's something about letting things out that truly is a release whether it's journaling whether it's talking to somebody I think cancer or not I think people going through horrible things or or destructive thoughts, I think to let it out, to have someone to talk to. I was so fortunate to have community and amazing family. I mean, my family, my mom was here for every chemo. You know, my, my dad came in for a chemo. Like I have an incredible community around me, but for people that don't, I, I, I hope and pray that they will talk it through. And I, that sounds so cheesy. I got to be honest. But I think there's so much freedom in talking because not only does it let it out, but I can't tell you the number of times I have been vulnerable with people about things that are very difficult to be vulnerable about. And the number of times people have said, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said Mm -hmm. that. I have felt that too. When I was a new mom, I remember saying to a group of ladies out loud, a group of like 100 ladies, do you ever just want to throw your baby out the window? (laughs) I mean, I would never do it. But And it was like this sigh. And I can't tell you the number Mm -hmm. of women that came up to me and said, thank you. Mm -hmm. And I think in our vulnerability, there's beauty for people to not feel alone. Mm -hmm. And I think sadly, cancer is a journey that people feel alone Mm -hmm. because You can be in the midst of chemo and have the best community, but until I spoke with people that really had done chemo, did I really feel understood? Yeah. As a young mom, I didn't feel understood unless I was talking to people that were in that stage of life. Mm -hmm. It's not that other people don't understand, but there's something about vulnerability and there's something about being around people that have been through it. Right. And I think when we open those doors up, there's so much healing and beauty and peace. I don't I, I completely don't agree. Yeah. I feel like it's when you talk with someone who's experiencing or been through something you've been through, it's almost like this sigh of relief where you're like, I don't have to explain this. Like you get it and we're speaking the same language. Yeah. I think it's a, it's the human desire to not be alone. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of life feels like I'm alone. But when we finally let a little something out, somebody else says, oh my gosh, I feel the same way. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Like there's huh, this release like Okay, I'm not weird. I'm not crazy. Well, we yeah. are. We are all a little <laughs> We're all weird, good weird and all a little crazy. But that's us, and it's a beautiful crazy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I that's love what that. I would say. It's good to just let it out. Yeah, but I'm a let it out girl. Yeah, yeah, I, I do agree. It's harder for people. I feel like it's almost a practice 
it's like when you first start being vulnerable, it's the scariest, but Mm -hmm. then the more you practice that, I mean, I'm, it's so, sometimes I have to remind myself like, okay, people aren't as open as I am and it might make them uncomfortable. And you just said breast on a podcast. (laughs) I gotcha. I gotcha. (laughs) You said it again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so true. And then you just wish that more people would try that. And I think it's important to share with at least a handful because some Mm. people are going to receive that well. And some people are dealing with their own things where they just can't take any more. That's not a reflection of you and the importance of sharing. And so Mm -hmm. that's, I sometimes get afraid that people share with one person and it just wasn't the right timing or the right person. And then they're like, I'm never going to share again. This was a mistake. Absolutely. And we can misread what. Exactly responses and and cause us to shut it down it reminds me of in working in ministry high school kids would say well she doesn't say hi to me in the halls she doesn't say i'm like did you say hi to her well no (laughs) and i think there's just this fear of being the first and i don't know why that is but if you're willing to be the first it's such a gift to other people Mm -hmm. you know years ago we didn't talk about suicide years ago we didn't talk about gender identity. Yeah. And, and and I think there's so much freedom for these individuals to be able to be who they are and be dealing with what yeah. their heartache or hardest thing is to let out. Mm-hmm. There's just a real sweetness there and a release. Mm-hmm. I agree. I feel like, yeah, when we are quiet and hide, like I feel like hiding is never the right choice and it just yeah. hurts us in so many ways. And in many ways we don't even realize until we share absolutely i have one final question but before that are there any things that that you feel like you haven't said that you would want to say to anyone going through i think i would just want to say to anyone in the midst of cancer surround yourself with good people and to the good people thanks for showing up Mm -hmm. thanks for the meals Mm -hmm. as i say that to you because you've got me (laughs) meals um the handwritten cards that those were for me. Mm-hmm. Um, just I think people knowing you care is such a gift. Yeah, and um, I would say to people in the cancer journey, give yourself grace. I think I wish I would have given myself more grace to be weak. Mm. It's hard to be weak, mm-hmm. but it's it's a season. It's okay to be weak for yeah. a season, but then we need to get back up and get on our feet and do the next thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, last question. This is a question I heard someone ask the other day on a podcast, so I'm stealing it. Apologies. Uh, okay, if what are your three favorite animals? And three then I'll tell you why. Animals. Mm-hmm. Then I'll that tell you why. Is quite a question, <laughs> but I'm not going to hesitate. Okay. The first one, it's a penguin. Okay. They're so darn cute. Okay. And they're just the way they waddle is like a little kid. Maybe that's because <laughs> I like little kids. Dogs because they're so faithful. And horses, because they're a little intimidating, but I really want to conquer them. I view them as strong, mm-hmm. um, but gentle. Why? I am that. I like a horse, a penguin, and a dog all so, mixed yeah, in one? So Call love, me a okay. ping-gog. So, so, no, so I love your answers because of whatever this random question thing tells you it means. But so the first ans- first animal you list is supposed to be how you see yourself. Oh dear, I'm a little, <laughs> I am. I'm a toddler still penguin. trying to figure life out. It's true. I, Truth be told, I am forever trying to figure out life as a toddler <laughs> waddling through this life. <laughs> so two is how other people see you, which I love because the word you said was faithful. And oh. I feel like you are a very faithful oh, friend in I people's lives. So. I I'm, I don't I feel like others are much more faithful, and I I would love to be faithful. It's a good goal. I think that's how people see you. And then the third is, so again, the first was how you see yourself. Second is how other people see you. And the third is who you truly are. So I love Mm. you saying strong and gentle. Gosh. If I could be all those things except for maybe the toddler penguin. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) We all need toddler Um, penguins. Yeah. No, we need a little childlike faith in all of us. I love it all. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I have no earthly idea where these questions came from. I love it. I'm going to use that one too. I love it.
love it. I thought it was fun. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I know this will help so many people, and I'm just so thankful for you being vulnerable mm -hmm. and sharing your heart with everybody. Thank you for letting me go off on my tangents, forget the questions, and I, just hey, I love it. Be real and say <laughs> boob on whatever this radio thing podcast <laughs> is. First for everything here. Hey, I like to be the first. Yeah. I like to be a game changer. <laughs> That wraps up our interview with Diane. I hope that this episode has been meaningful and helpful to you. I know that there are so many people that are dealing with cancer. I would love it if you would take a second and think if there's anyone you know who could use this message and if you would share it with them so that they can hopefully also be encouraged and comforted by Diane's words. Again, if you would like access to the extended clip that is about 20 minutes longer, then head over to patreon.com backslash restoring heart to have access to it. This is the conclusion of our series on when life doesn't turn out as expected. Again, I hope that it has been helpful and encouraging and comforting to you in some way, depending on where you are in life. Today on January 31st, I'll be posting on Instagram asking for your comments, your thoughts about this series, and if there was a particular episode that was helpful to you. So I would love it if you could head over to Ashley with Restoring Heart that's my Instagram page <laughs> and leave a comment and just share a particular episode that's been helpful for you. And if there's someone that you've been meaning to share any of these episodes with, then you can tag them there as well. So that's it guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys for listening every week and I will talk to you next week until then do something restoring in your life and in the life of those around you.